This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Bombfell. For $25 off your first purchase, visit bombfell.com slash filmcast. That's bombfell.com slash filmcast for $25 off. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chan and with me are... Vindra Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, what we're going to do here on this podcast, we're going to talk about what we've been watching this week. we got some film news to cover, which you can find at SlashFilm.com. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, that's the third film in this most recent round of Apes films directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to discussing it with you guys. Eighth, eighth apes film in history, I guess. Isn't that eight? Number eight? Hmm. I think that's right. Um, are you counting the Tim Burton movie, by the way? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if was, I am That or was not. just a fugue dream. Or, or, yeah. That <laughs> never happened. Uh, I watched this video essay on ScreenCrush.com about why uh, that Tim Burton movie actually is pretty good. Um, so I thought that I, was pretty honestly. I have no memory of it. I know it. I know I saw it. I know I probably reviewed it on the Totally Rad Show, but I have I don't have any memory of that movie at all. I, I am getting a little tired of these. Uh, I, I got a video essay about that thing that you thought was a bad, but it's actually good. <laughs> and let me break it down for you guys because this is the internet in 2017. Uh, I, I disagree, but okay. Uh, so I actually think it is the ninth. Planet of the Apes films, if you include <laughs> the 2001 Burton. Planet of the Apes film by Tim Burton, yeah. Okay. So well, I guess we didn't review it. 2001 that came out? My God. Man. I guess I didn't review it. But That's well before my movie review in time. Here's what I'll say about the uh, the Burton films that I think is pretty indisputable. The special effects in that movie, like the makeup effects, were absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah. they achieved what, you know how everyone's talking about, Andy Serkis deserves a, a, an Oscar, you know? Uh, they were able to achieve that stuff practically in 2001, in my opinion. It might not have looked quite as convincing as it does today, but yeah. it was still really incredible at the time. They uh, jumped real good. Yeah, yeah. That, that uh, was the thing. I mean, the way they did that was by dragging along these <laughs> huge sheets of, like, tar- these huge tarps behind trucks. Yep. And then they had people, like, uh, you know, galloping in their ape suits on these sheets. And then they, they would drive these trucks and they would shoot these people from the side. And it would look like <laughs> they were going at, you know, 35 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty yeah. amazing what they were able to do. I also people... really like uh, Gary Oldman in that movie just because it's, it's Tim pure Roth, crazy. Tim Roth, man. Tim Roth. Tim Roth, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Anyway, uh, well, we shall never speak of that movie again. But uh, so many skills have just become obsolete because computers. Yes. <laughs> like some guy figured out how to do that with with a pickup truck and some tarps. That dude, I, I tip my hat to that dude. He figured it out. <laughs> his, his entire skill set He's so is obsolete. Inventive. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. go go back, watch the special features on that Planet of the Apes movie. It's pretty incredible. I mean, obviously it made an impression on me. I still remember it, you know, over a decade later. Um, but uh, anyway. 15 years later. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com, uh, which a lot of people have been doing recently for a variety of reasons. Now, before we get to those reasons, I did want to do a quick check-in 
with the summer movie wager, guys. Oh no! Uh, so why would you want to do that? I don't want to do that because it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, this week, Dennis, <laughs> who's running the summermoviewager.com, was able to calculate uh, the percentage chance that uh, everyone in the wager would win. And mm. for the second year in a row, Jeff, with uh, <laughs> yeah. more than six weeks left in the wager, uh-huh. uh, you are at less than one percent chance to win. <laughs> Which I think is right. just... well, you know, but math can be wrong, right? <laughs> math is wrong. All all the time we find out that math is wrong. L- less than one percent right? chance is not zero percent chance. I mean that's, that's something right. that's something that's So uh, you're saying there's a chance. That's right, I'm telling you there's a chance. Uh Devindra <laughs> right now at fifty two percent chance to win. Never gonna happen, but uh, I'm gonna relish no, this moment I, right now. You yeah. you help me, Obi Wan Devindra, you're my only hope. <laughs> you're, you're you're my only champion to to make sure <laughs> I'm putting all my hopes in you, sir, to take down. That's true. That, that's the Darth reason Chen. I want to. I want to stick around. <laughs> Darth yeah. Chen, yeah. Peter, right now, 24 percent chance. Jermaine at 13 percent chance, and me, David, at 18 percent chance. Right now, the the current points are uh, uh, Peter at 56, Jermaine at 52, Jeff at 48, David at 46, Devendra at 46. But guys, uh, winter is coming for this board because uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy right now is giving Peter, Jermaine, and Devendra a lot of points, but sometime in the next 10 days, Wonder Woman will surpass Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 as the number one domestic grossing film of the summer. Uh, I think I nailed that one, right, guys? <laughs> you nailed it nailed by it. not including it in your top 10. <laughs> I mean, st- still, uh, even for those of us who did include it, like me and Devendra, that is incredible. I, I don't think any of us could have. I mean, none of us. In fact, none of us did foresee that. Um, that <laughs> none of us. Yeah. It, it has. It has an incredible multiplier. I mean, it started at a hundred million dollars, and it's probably going to land pretty close to four hundred million dollars domestic. Uh, just an absolutely incredible uh, run for for Wonder Woman. Uh, Can I say again that I've never been so happy to be wrong? I, I'm just I'm just loving the fact that this movie is crushing and that people are continuing to go see it. I, I think I I mean I'll probably say this again at the end of the summer when we do our wrap up special episode. But um, I'm I'm a little ashamed that I let my cynicism rule the day on my on my list because I put Transformers really high and I I didn't put Wonder Woman on it and I kind of was was drinking the Kool Aid on on a cynical movie going public and I'm just so so glad I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Jeff, your you know your earnestness and sincerity and apologetic nature is absolutely infuriating because I really wish I could give you a harder time about how wrong you were about it, but I can't because you're being such a good sport. Uh, so, all that being said, well, as long as you lose, Dave, yep, that's all that really matters to I, me. I'm aware of that. Uh, other thing I wanted to point out, you know, a couple of weeks ago I talked about how Spider-Man Homecoming, I was afraid it would do badly. It had a pretty solid opening weekend, uh, I think $113 million opening weekend. Um, but it has dropped pretty precipitously, like moderately precipitously, you know, not a disastrous drop off or anything. It's probably going to end up grossing around what The Amazing Spider-Man 1 made. Uh, that's the Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield movie. Uh, that ended up at around $262 million. You know, this Spider-Man is probably going to end up around the same, maybe, you know, between 280 300 like not that much more. Hey, nothing uh, to sneeze at. Nothing to sneeze yeah. Certainly, yeah, it's certainly a success and certainly probably better than what Sony would have done on their own. The um, difference is we'll remember this one. That's right. right. That's, that's right. True. But it, just, yeah. it is, you know, I think people would have hoped for, you know, take away Sony's right. oversight, add an Iron Man in there. 
uh, you'd have like a smash hit, but it didn't quite work out like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, then, they they did sort of do that. It just it's a compound thing, right? Because Amazing Spider-Man Two was not so long ago, and that that whole movie felt like a fever dream. But it happened, and uh, wasn't uh, who was Rhino in that again? Like that was Paul, I, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, Paul, Paul Giamatti, Giamatti was in that movie for four minutes. Yeah. And at one point, he was in a giant rhino suit, and it was all crazy, and there's a little kid in a Spider-Man costume. It was all... Man, I, Sony kind of screwed themselves a little there, because the fact that Marvel at least had, you know, pretty much creative control of that movie. Like, that's mostly how it went. Like, it's part of the whole uh, universe now. It's part of the cinematic universe. Sony kind of just let that go. And it worked out, I guess, for the best for them. There. Well, uh, to be yeah. fair, Sony is still in t- fully intent on building the cinematic universe themselves. Uh, Spider-Man will be mm-hmm. in future Avengers films, but Sony has already said they're making a Venom with Tom yeah. Hardy. So, but, but Spider-Man's not in it, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those movies can't have Spider-Man in it. Like yeah, that, otherwise, they'd be Marvel movies. I'm going to go on a limb and say they're also probably not going to be very good. Um, uh, <laughs> But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. The only other thing I wanted to mention about the, the ranking so far is it has been an absolutely incredible summer in terms of subverting expectations. Uh, we, for the first time ever, I think, we may very well end up with uh, movies on the top 10 list that did not make over $100 million. Uh, and crazy. that it just shows that it has been a bloodbath for sequels and franchise movies of the summer. Uh, I mean, right now, Baby Driver is at number nine, uh, ninth place with $74 million. I expect wow. that will change after Dunkirk and Valerian and Dark Tower come out and um, once uh, War for the Planet of the Apes is factored Maybe not Valerian. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe You know, I'm just saying there's a couple more movies that, <laughs> yeah. that might do well. But yeah. uh, it, it just is remarkable, like, how... Uh, badly, a lot of these sequels have done this summer, uh, and I don't think most of us were prepared for that. But we will we will talk more about that at the end of the summer. Just wanted to check in and let people know uh, they can play along, watch how things are going along at thesummermoviewager dot com. Uh, all right, what else did I want to announce? Okay, so last week I read a slash film court email from Logan in Chicago. And uh, you guys may recall, it was a slash film court case about a woman, uh, Logan's girlfriend, who brought in uh, spaghetti into the theater. Well, or Dave, she, she wanted to bring spaghetti into the theater. Dave, right? you got to title these like Hardy Boy Mysteries. It's, yes. a, it's the case of the... Of the saucy bag or something, you know? It's the, the, it's the, it's the, the case of the of spaghetti Ziploc. Yes, indeed, indeed. You um, know, like Hardy Boys mysteries. You know, like that cultural thing that we all know from now, the current thing, Hardy yeah. Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good reference, Jeff. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, the day after the Slash Film Court case, uh, a lot of people were asking uh, me to tweet a photo of uh, – or, or they weren't asking me. They are asking for photo proof – uh, that this story was true because Logan from Chicago provided photo proof. Uh, and I tweeted the photo proof uh, with Logan's permission, uh, with Logan's girlfriend's permission. I asked him, hey, do you mind if I share this photo with people? Uh, and that photo took off in a way that I <laughs> have never seen any of my tweets take off before. 
uh, a week later, the tweet has like over a hundred thousand views, probably more than a hundred thousand views. Like I don't know how Twitter calculates it, but it's at at least a hundred thousand views, and it was picked up in BuzzFeed and Thrillist, and also was trending on Twitter for several hours on two separate days. Uh, and I have to say, the moral of this story is, I am a monster because what has happened is you ruined this girl's life no uh i haven't ruined this girl's life but a lot of people took this uh spaghetti photo as a dare you know and i think like i think a lot of people are like oh well i've snuck in all this crazier stuff or you know they they said they they got ideas from it as it were you know like oh no we started the spaghetti club that's right. Where everybody, you, the only way to, it's like the Mile High Club. The only way to get in the Spaghetti Club is to sneak spaghetti into a movie theater in a plastic bag. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I got you know hundreds of replies to this tweet, and a lot of them were, uh, you know, not all heroes wear capes, and like this person's incredible, and blah blah blah. And so I think a lot of people to are be clear. Taking, we do not want you to join the Spaghetti Club. Yeah, do we, not join do the not, Spaghetti Club. We do not endorse, you know. Uh, it is not an idea that we like, but you know it is. Do not send us pictures. Hashtag Spaghetti Club. <laughs> do not do that. We ne- do. We want to be very clear. We do not want to see your photographic proof that you are in the Spaghetti Club. You know, Jeff. The way Don't you're saying do that. It, it kind of sounds like you're being sarcastic, no, and you want people. But to I, do it. I could not be more clear, David. Do not hashtag those Spaghetti Club <laughs> and send them to us on Twitter. He says Don't. with a bowl of spaghetti in his lap right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually true. True story. True story. But it's not in a bag. <laughs> Again, what Jeff said, we definitely don't want your spaghetti glove photos and don't take spaghetti into the theater. It's not something we recommend. Um, but yeah, I mean, crazy, right? That, that uh, uh, unintended consequences from the Slash Film Court. Um, I should also point out, uh, someone in the Slack film cast, I think, pointed out, this is the second time that uh, the Slash Film cast has tapped into some big vein in popular culture the first time being the uh uh listening to things at faster speed than usual right which got us a mention in the new york times uh this spaghetti thing got us a mention in buzzfeed uh who knows what the next trend we'll latch on to is but i am looking forward to finding out with you guys uh finally a couple couple of the last announcements number one uh guys i don't know if you can tell but uh, my voice is in pretty bad shape today. I'm recovering from uh, a pretty bad version of, I think it's the flu? Whatever it was, I was reduced to a um, shivering ball of flesh that was just like using a heating pad and curled up in my bed Oof. for a couple days to uh, to prevent myself from freezing to death. Uh, and so I'm not in the best shape today. And so if my voice sounds a little odd... Uh, that's if I'm if I'm not my usual uh, enthusiastic self. That's why it's not just because I find Jeff and Devere's opinions repugnant, although that does sometimes occur as well. Um, but yeah, just wanted to let people know that uh, that's why I sound a little different today. And finally, last week we talked about uh, we, we we gave away five copies of Fate of the Furious on Blu-ray, and I pointed out that. Hey, uh, so few people entered that contest that if you entered that contest, you had a twenty percent chance of uh, of winning a Blu-ray uh, or a twenty-five percent chance. Guys, uh, people apparently heard that they sensed <laughs> they sensed blood in the water, and for our free fire Blu-ray contest, we got over 
ten times the amount of entries that we got. <laughs> well, the people uh, have spoken. That's, that's clearly it. That yeah. means that they they prefer the movie Free Fire to the movie Fate of the Furious. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, again, you're saying that sarcastically, but I actually think that's that is very likely true. I'm not saying it sarcastically. I prefer Free Fire to Fate of the Furious. I think it's a much preferable film. Um, but we asked people to email in to slashfilmcast.gmail.com with their uh, stories of the worst movie experience they've ever had. Uh, and that was in order to win a copy of the Free Fire Blu-ray, which is going to be out in uh, on Blu-ray, uh, I believe, right now. You can, you can get it right now on Blu-ray. Uh, comes with a bunch of special features, uh, including an audio commentary with director Ben Wheatley. Um, and anyway, uh, hundreds of people entered, and I'm going to read off the winners right now. Uh, Ryan G. from Richmond, Virginia. Scott H. from Plano, Texas. Sean H. from Valley Village, California. Andrew D. from Portland. And John S. from Beverly Hills, California. Thank you so much for your entries to the Free Fire Contest, and congratulations on winning a Blu-ray. Those Blu-rays will be shipped out to you later this week. Uh, And I did want to read one of these people's entries. This one comes in from John from Los Angeles. John writes into slashfilmcast.gmail.com for this Free Fire Blu-ray contest. Uh, The year is 2003, and I'm in my mid-20s. I'm an Asian-American male and also a film fan. Hence, I am predisposed to anger. This (laughs) This is exacerbated due to the lack of representation of Asians in media. So one evening, I decided to go see the Tom Cruise film, The Last Samurai. I went into the theater with a chip on my shoulder because I am about to witness yet another example of cultural reappropriation. Yet again, a Caucasian male will save the day. So as the movie goes on, my state of agitation only increases. Then a point comes in the film where a man is beheaded, and at that moment, a voice shouts out from the audience exclaiming, Damn, he done lost his head! Now, the one thing I despise more than cultural reappropriation is talking in a theater. So in my agitated state, I yell towards the voice, shut the fuck up. It was only after I angrily admonished the stranger that I got a good look at him. A few seats to my left in my same row sat a very large, angry man who resembled a a stereotype of a street thug or gangsta. Cornrows, tats, wife beater, oversized starch jeans, and a demeanor that is all too ready to lay down some pain on me. So this guy gets up from his seat, walks over to me, and sits right next to me and says, What the fuck did you just say to me, chink? I then calmly respond by saying, Actually, I'm Korean, so technically I'm a gook, not a chink. He took a beat to mull over my correction and then menacingly said, You want to take this outside? I then said, Shh, I'm trying to watch the movie. The man returns to his seat and makes a call on his cell phone asking his associates to meet him at the theater. From what I could gather, he was calling his friends to partake of my eventual ass beating. (laughs) So there I sat for the duration of the rest of the film, wondering how best to escape the situation. I could just leave, but I had paid the price of a ticket, and I did not want to miss miss hate watching the rest of the film. The film ends, the lights go up. I look to my left and see the thuggish man waiting for me to leave. Then salvation comes. A voice from behind me says, hey, buddy, let's get you home. I turn around and see a tall, square-jawed Caucasian male sitting with his date. He says he's a California highway patrolman and would like to offer some assistance. It is not lost on me that, ironically, a Caucasian male has come to save me. But this is I, hilarious. But I swallow my pride and accept the protection of my white savior as he drives me home in the company of his girlfriend, a young Asian lady, of course. 
that is the worst theater experience I ever had. This would make a great movie. Yeah. Like this whole great, story. Great short film. There are great. layers to this story. Great short film. Uh, that's from John from Los Angeles. And John, you know, we've all been there, man. We've all been yeah. there. You know, I do I do say, tell people to be quiet in movie theaters, but shouting shut the fuck up will invite a beat down, and uh, the, we, we cannot be held responsible for that. That's right. That's yeah. Right. That, that is the lesson to take away from that. <laughs> um, but uh, I so wanted that guy behind him to be Tom Cruise. <laughs> anyway, thanks to everyone for all their entries into the contest. You'll be getting your Free Fire Blu-ray soon, and everyone else... You can go buy a Free Fire Blu-ray right now. It's something we would all recommend because we all really like this movie. All right. Yes, we did. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's all the announcements uh, before we actually get to today's show. Jeff Carrada, why don't you take it away from us in terms of what we've been watching this week? Oh, okay. Um, I have been watching uh, quite a bit of stuff. Um, I would like to start with... Oh, hello... <laughs> Have you guys seen Oh Hello? I have not seen Netflix? it yet, and I'm kicking myself for missing it on Broadway. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know where to even start with this thing. It is um, one of my favorite things in the world right now. And I think most people that see it will hate it. And I kind of can't believe it exists because it feels like six people in the world are going to love it. And I am one of those six. This is six. based off of a sketch on The Kroll Show, I believe, right? Nick Kroll Show? Kind of. It's based on characters that John Mulaney and Nick Kroll have done in various incarnations, mm-hmm. both on The Kroll Show and on Comedy Bang Bang and all, all over the place. And they did a bunch at UCB, and they, they sort of workshopped the show a lot. And then it went to Broadway, and it, it, it is a uh, a comedy show starring those two uh, comedians as these old kind of cranky characters. New Yorkers. Um, yes. Are very, yeah. you know, quintessential New old New Yorkers. One of them is a, is a failed writer and the other is a failed actor. And now they've made it to Broadway and they're going to do this play that the writer wrote for the actor. And it is, I mean, it's, it's basically a roast of, <laughs> Broadway, a roast of theater. And, you know, <laughs> what better thing to poke fun at and create a mainstream Netflix show, uh, you know, special about than a dying art form that very few people actually even experience in person anymore. You know, it's like they, you they even have the opportunity to experience. Right. They choose this thing that, that is expensive and remote and, and <laughs> difficult and, and, you know, is really a niche of a niche of a niche, right? This, this, <laughs> this, this special is poking fun. It's mining its comedic life from something that so few people will even get the references of. But for me, who is a theater nerd who majored in theater in, in college, uh, I mean, it is, it's right up my alley. And the, <laughs> the, the, sophistication of the comic sensibility that the layering of jokes and how they build and how they come back. I mean, if you're familiar with comedy, bang, bang, if you're familiar with these, the work that these guys have done in, in other shows and stuff, you know, that nerd comedy, it's sort of uh, become a genre now, you know, it's like alt comedy and nerd comedy. Like a documentary now, right? This sounds like a documentary now level spoof of theater. Yeah, it is. It is. The joke is almost 
making fun of what you expect the joke to be because you're so inside comedy that you think they're zigging and then they zag. It's they set up a a sophisticated joke and it, instead of paying it off the way any other mainstream comedian would, they do the opposite and that's what's funny. It's it's <laughs> comedy that is so inside and uh, up its own ass that <laughs> it it really is off-putting to most people, but that's kind of the the thing about it, right? It's it's yeah. it's punk. It's it's anti-comedy in a way. I don't right. like in general, like a documentary. Now there's some episodes I love, especially when I know what they're talking about. And then there's someone they're referencing all these things that are very, very obscure. And it's like just seeing them do this. It's like, Oh, I, I guess I wish I were smart enough to know why this is funny. So I, I yeah. yeah, I'm a little ambivalent about this whole genre popping up. I totally understand. And I think most people like I'm going to, rave about oh hello right now and i think most people that watch it probably won't get past 20 minutes of it and that's fine like it's not made for you if 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 you watch it and you're not into it it's fine it's it's not it's that's what's so amazing about it it feels to me like a lesson in specificity and it, it really is a very inspiring thing for me from a creative standpoint because it's these guys who have committed so hard to this very very specific thing and most – the vast majority of the world isn't going to get it, and they don't care. And that I think is such a cool, just inspiring thing to to be so specific and make that entertaining and not care about being general because most stuff that's made for a general audience is pretty bland. You, because you, you just described the Slash Film Guest, Jeff. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Oh, happens. Hello honestly does sound like us. Just like cranky, cranky old. Thing. Except, oh, hello, has, an, yeah. has a much bigger audience than us. I would say. Well, if it was, yeah, if we were actually brilliant, like these guys, yeah. there, there are sections of the show that are improvised. There are sections of the show that are written. There is, I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a surprise guest that shows up uh, about halfway Stay through. John Ham. No, dude, it is <laughs> far better, and it is. Okay. A, a, an amazing that's like 10 minutes where they that's just great. stop the show and do an interview and it is brilliant because everybody is improvising and everybody is riffing on each other and everybody is stacking jokes on jokes and no one misses a beat and it's just these brilliant brilliant guys all trying to one up each other and it's amazing and, and the whole thing is amazing. I, I I was watching it. I was laughing my ass off. I was trying to remember specific jokes and the jokes come so fast and are so smart. And like, it's one of those shows that I, I did laugh a lot out loud, but it's the, this kind of comedy is like not laugh out loud. It's, it's you, you appreciate it. You go, Oh my God, that is so smart that you don't even have time to laugh because you know the next thing is coming so quickly it's it is uh, i mean there was one joke that i was trying to remember to tell on the show because i thought it was so good where he was like um <laughs> they said there's this bit about like writing young adult fiction and he goes um i couldn't write young adult fiction they're they're made for uh, you know uh, underdeveloped minds you know like twilight or the corrections and it's like it just goes by <laughs> right it just goes by and that's it, that's like the way all of these jokes are. They're just like they don't care that you're not going to get most of them. It, 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 dude, I 
adore this thing, but I totally think most people are going to hate it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Oh Hello. It's on Netflix right now. Jeff, what else have you been watching? Uh, I also watched another new Netflix thing. It's Friends from College, and uh, this is the new show uh, starring um, Key from Key and Peele and a bunch of other cool people. Uh, Fred great Savage cast. is yeah. – yeah, great, ca- great cast. Um, this is, uh, what's this her name gotten... who plays Agent Hill in uh, in the Marvel movies? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's her name? I, I think she's awesome. Um, can't remember. From How, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Col- Col- yes, Col- right. yeah. yeah. Yes, Col- yes. Um, and uh, this is a show about um, a group of people that were really, really close when they went to college, and now they're sort of turning 40. They're around around 40, and they all happen to move back to New York at the same time. And so it's kind of this reunion, and but they're all going to be living in the same area. So it's this ongoing reunion. It's like, oh, we're all back together again. And then their spouses kind of aren't in on the old – you know, all, all the old references because they weren't around when they were all hanging out together. So it's like about their spouses not really getting them and, and not really being part of this group. And the group is older now and weird. And then central to the storyline is – and this isn't a spoiler because it's, I mean, literally this first moment of the show uh, – is uh, one of the characters is – or two of the characters actually are having an adulterous affair with each other. So they're old friends from college that they sort of never stopped – hooking up in college, even though they both got married to other people. And, um, so the, the, the central theme of the show is them dealing with that. And that honestly, I think the show is really funny. I really like it. Uh, very, very charming performances. It, it walks this wonderful line between being a sort of realistic sitcom, uh, you know, or, or more like a sex in the city or girls, you know, like those shows are funny, but they're sort of slice of life kind of grounded, realistic thing. It goes from that to being these really broad sketches almost. And Mm -hmm. most shows wouldn't even attempt that. And if they did, it probably would feel weird tonally. And somehow the show manages to pull off both of those things almost at the same time. Like things can get really wacky and broad and you get characters like, um, Oh my goodness! What's her name? Uh, the brilliant, brilliant Saturday Night Live star right now who plays Hillary Clinton uh, and was in Ghostbusters Kate and is Kate McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon shows up in an episode and is playing—I mean, a Saturday Night Live character. She's like <laughs> completely not based in reality, but it—it it all kind of works in the show, and it's all yeah. weird and over the top. And Jeff, fun. I have to say, you talking about the show is much more interesting than me watching the show. So oh, I have to. Say, yeah, I, I saw a couple episodes, and my wife started watching it. I can't stand this thing. I mean, I... That is saying something. I mean, Devendra's tolerance for terrible Netflix shows is really high, in my opinion. I mean, you keep saying that, Dave. I think the thing is, you just don't watch enough TV. But, uh, like, Jeff, like, this show... uh, This, like, the thing is, like, what you're describing is a great show, like, uh, Girls. I think, think, like, Girls was, like, a fantastic show that both explored, like, relationships in New York... um, and like modern day things, and but was also really funny at times. Like there, there were just so many other great series like this, and especially with things like Master of None and stuff around. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm just, just not do. feeling the show. I, I totally get that, and yeah. and I, I, my biggest problem with it is that you're supposed to be rooting for the adulterers. Oh no, just, they're all terrible. They're yeah, garbage. They're people. all terrible. But um, I don't think it's really trying to do what Girls is doing, or even Master of None is doing. It's not. It's yeah. not. It's not trying to do that. It's a much broader 
show than that. It's it's really kind of wacky at times, and and I don't think Harold's ever yeah. was really. Wacky. I think I, it also constantly gives me whiplash. That's the thing. Like it doesn't know what it wants to be. I just I hope it gets better because this cast is insane. Like Fred Savage. Uh, and Kobe Smolters, like you're saying, and Keegan Michael Key, Billy Eichner's in here too. Like it's, it, it is a great combination, and it's weird how the cocktail just leaves me a little like uh, I don't know. It's, it's too sour for me. Yeah, it, to be, to be I fair. found it really funny. My my wife and I both like it. We we were laughing our butts off. Uh, I I, th- I thought it was really funny. Uh, this has this show has been brutalized by the critics. Uh, it has a 44 on Metacritic. Uh, James Poniewozik from the New York Times says. The result is a comedy drama whose comedy is grating and whose drama doesn't really engage with its essential sadness. Uh, Friends from College is conscious of how tough its core group can be to take, but what it does best, reproducing the experience of going out with an insular gang whose members aren't as clever or adorable as they think, is exactly the sort of thing you try to avoid by staying home and watching Netflix. (laughs) That is perfect. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. We we like it. I I find it very funny and... uh, I'm going to continue watching it. We've watched five episodes so far. And uh, I, like I said, the biggest problem for me is that it's, it, it shows like this adulterous relationship as this kind of adorable quirk. And, and then, you know, then the guy who he's, you know, key is married and he's also having an affair, but the morning he's married with, like he's trying to have kids with her, but also having an affair. It's like, nah, you're a monster. You're a monster person. Um, I don't like you. I'm not. So, I'm not going to like you. You're a monster. Um, so I don't know how it's going to wrap up, but uh, I like it certainly a lot more than the the uh, reviews seem to indicate. Other people do. Devendra, what have you been watching this week? I got to check out the Bad Batch, which is the new film from uh, Anna Lily Amirpour. She did A uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night a couple years ago. This is a new film. It's sort of like a post-apocalyptic western think like mad max type thing it's about a girl who gets uh placed in this uh kind of a quarantine zone for criminals and uh bad things start happening to her like almost immediately she is uh kidnapped and her i believe her arm and her foot or no just her foot uh her leg is chopped off and we watch cannibal eat it uh like cook it up and eat it right in front of us. And that tells you what this movie is. Like, this is a brutal movie about, like, just, yeah, crazy post-apocalyptic things happening. Um, it does feel a lot like a Western. In kind of a way, it's a revenge thriller, too, because it's all about her trying to get back at the people who uh, who did this to her. Uh, but, man, this movie, I, I, I don't know, guys. Like, it is... Sounds like it sounds like a Raw that other movie that came that horror movie that came out this it year. Does, it does. It does. I haven't it. seen Raw yet. Yeah, um, like I saw Raw yeah. and it was a very troubling movie that had to deal with cannibalism. I, you know, if the movie was entirely just about that, the sort of like crazy cannibalism thing, at least that would be something happening. This is a movie. It's two hours long, and this movie feels like it's six hours long. <laughs> it is just like it is. Continuous scenes of nothing happening and like, um, you know, cool pop music on the soundtrack. I think there's a lot of DJ Shadow in here. I have this playlist, so I kind of know what's in this movie. And it's just like long, languorous scenes, like no real narrative thread. It's all over the place. Um, It's just, it is torture. This movie is as torturous as getting your leg chopped off and watching it eaten right in front of you. Um, and it's it's a shame because I want to root for this director. Like I think Anna Lilian Report is really just like a really interesting visionary. Like a girl walks home alone at night. It's uh, 
That is a unique film. And I think in many ways it has a lot of these things too. Like that is a quiet film. It does take its time. Uh, It's not like, yeah, it's not fast paced at all, but that was a mood I could get into. This movie is like Tarantino on acid with like very little coherency. And it's a shame too, because like, I like uh, Jason Momoa's in this as a character, as a guy called Miami man. Uh, There's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, Isn't he playing isn't he playing Miami Man in the DC universe as well? It is. It's uh, it's a prequel, actually. Um, <laughs> Keanu Reeves is in this movie as like a slimy guy, a slimy guy who's like in charge of this weird post-apocalyptic town. His name is The Dream. Uh, Jim Carrey is in this movie, kind of uncredited too, because he's not in. I don't even think he's in the movie's credits, but he's just like a hermit who wanders the Outland. It sounds like a lot of great ideas for you know, sort of like Mad Max type story uh, done on a very low budget. Uh, but man, like nothing connects. It, it, it's just torture. So it's a shame. I hope her next project, whatever ends up being, uh, is more coherent. That'd be nice. It's this is the bad batch. It sounds like you paid money to see this because it's an extremely I did pay money it's extremely limited release right now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sorry, it wasn't a good experience, Devendra. Um, <laughs> what else have you been watching this week? Uh, a couple of things. I also checked out the Defiant Ones. This is a new documentary series on HBO right now, and uh, it's basically telling the story of Dr. Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine, uh, and they together they founded uh, Beats Audio, but it also goes into their careers and kind of everything they worked on. And uh, just wanted to give a shout out to this because this is a tremendous documentary. Uh, if even if you're not into these guys as artists, I think it's a really fascinating story, just on like an entrepreneurial level. Um, it's also the series is directed by Alan Hughes. So one of the Hughes brothers, the guys who did uh, a book of Eli a couple years ago, it's just like wonderfully edited, great music because both of these guys were just involved in so much great stuff. Uh, definitely worth watching. It's on HBO right now. Just check it out. Like it's, it's really interesting. Like there are stories I heard about this. Uh, there are like little details from all of these uh, episodes that I just never knew about these people and about like the people around them. So yeah, just, just check it out. All right. That's the defiant ones. It's on HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Devendra sounds like you also like probably the rest of us watch the season yeah. premiere of game of Thrones, right? Solid season Definitely. premiere. Oh, Solid man, season premiere. So good. Great cold open have to say i hope they don't i feel like we're getting to the point where it could be like the mission impossible 2 problem with with that stuff uh just like yeah uh, a lot of false identities all over the place uh but yeah overall a great strong premiere and uh man they are so far off from where the books were it's just fascinating like we are we're in uncharted territory now it's kind of it's kind of scary it's kind of exciting it's kind of wild uh, but I'm digging everything that's happening so far. And I really like uh, what they're doing with some of the characters, too. Like, there's a bit of redemption for people like the Hound, which I yeah, I didn't quite see coming. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think his storyline is, is yeah. one MV, of my favorites MVP right of the episode. In my Unbelievable. So um, very cool. Game of Thrones is airing right now on HBO. 15 to 16 million viewers week one, guys. Crazy. Crazy. Um, so check out that show on HBO, uh, catch up. And of course I'm recapping it over at game of Thrones podcast.com every week. Um, all right. What have I been watching guys? I watched a bunch of, uh, Netflix comedy specials this week. Uh, I got to check out Norm Macdonald's new comedy special, Hitler's dog gossip and trickery. Have you guys seen this? The new Norm Macdonald comedy special? No, uh, I love Norm though. So yeah, this is on my list. 
I saw Norm Macdonald live in concert at Snoqualmie Casino uh, a few months back, and I thought this was going to be one of those things, Jeff, where like I know I think we talked about this on the podcast where uh, you see the comedian live and then you see their Netflix special and it's the exact same show. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this was not that he was. It was a completely different show, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I really enjoyed it, uh, and so he's I, great I, as a stand-up man. It he's was so very solid. funny. It, it, he has such an interesting deadpan style. He he barely moves yeah. at all during his entire routine. <laughs> he's um, also just trying to conserve his energy. Like, <laughs> this guy, he is he is absolutely hilarious, very incisive, uh, and very dark. You know, which is what, I mean, it's, it's called Hitler's dog. You know, so uh, you can just imagine what that's all about. But uh, I really liked it. It's uh, Norm Macdonald's new comedy special. It's available on Netflix. I got, have a chance to see Aziz Ansari live at Madison Square Garden. Uh, have you guys seen this one? Aziz Ansari? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Aziz Ansari, um, I, uh, I, I don't find his work as funny as I find it interesting and insightful. You know, like mm-hmm. when I watch his stuff, I'm not, I, I don't often like laugh uncontrollably, but I often think to myself, man, that is like extremely excis- incisive about modern day life and modern day dating and modern day love. And, uh, and of course, he wrote a book called Modern Love. Um, and so it's really interesting to watch the Live at Madison Square Garden because you see a lot of the precursors of Master of None. In, in that comedy special. Like a lot of the things he talks about and brings up in that show, he would then go on to develop into a fictionalized form on the Netflix series uh, Master of None. And I think it's, uh, they're both, it's kind of like a different form of the same kind of thing. And yeah. I thought it was just a very fascinating piece of work, uh, especially when you consider it in that context. So that's Aziz Nasari's comedy special uh, live at Madison Square Garden. But guys, I must tell you, about Hassan Minaj's homecoming. Yes. Vindra, you've seen this. This is yeah. one of those this is I'm dying to see my it. favorite special that I've ever like I have seen on Netflix to date. And mm. I have seen dozens of them. You know, uh, this is one of those specials where I watched it and I thought to myself, I need to devote a significant portion of my life to telling people about this special. Uh, and <laughs> wow. uh, you know, I, I've seen Hassan Minaj on The Daily Show I thought he was fine. You know, I didn't think he was bad yeah. or anything, but he's not, he's he not my good. favorite correspondent. Yeah. Um, but so I, I expected, I, I tuned into this because, hey, uh, maybe there'll be some funny jokes. Maybe he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll talk about the immigrant experience. Uh, and that'll be interesting because there's been a lot of those uh, kinds of comedians recently. And, and I, I went in expecting kind of a middling uh, to maybe like uh, slightly above average comedy special. Mm-hmm. And what I got, was just it just completely blew me away because it is not really a comedy special in the conventional sense of the term it's uh it's like live storytelling you know it's yeah it it, honestly it it reminded me of what i was trying to achieve with the primary instinct the film i directed with steven tobolowsky except um you know he has a uh he's telling it from obviously a very different perspective than steven tobolowsky and he had an extremely cool graphics package going on in the background um but this uh, special, Homecoming by Hassan Minaj, is funny, it's moving, it's insightful about the immigrant experience. Uh, it is just extraordinary. You know, I, I was watching this on the exercise bike in the gym and crying because of how How do you watch comedy while you're exercising? I can't do that. Why is it? I feel like because 
laughter inherently uh, for me exercising is all about breathing and laughter is is the opposite of breathing Fair <laughs> La- laughter is the enemy of breathing well i guess i guess you know uh i i, I wasn't necessarily expecting to laugh that much that's that shows you my expectations <laughs> going in yeah I guess um so. but it, it went from being something that i wasn't really looking forward to you know it's like oh let's just check it out you know it's like disposable entertainment that I'll watch on the exercise bike to I need to tell everyone I know about this special <laughs> because I just found it so incredible, so well done, different strands of narrative that are weave in and out of each other and uh, callbacks that are really amazingly done. Devinder, what do you think of Hassan Minaj's Homecoming? Oh, I loved it. it I, I've, I liked him on The Daily Show. I didn't know what to expect with this, but yeah, this special ghost places that you don't quite expect it feels like he's just like tearing his shirt off and bearing his heart for us to see and it is sometimes i think even hard to watch like what he's talking about how how much it kind of hurts to hear these things but it's i i I, yeah i loved it i thought uh it made me tear up at times it made me reflect on like my own experiences being you know an immigrant kid in america uh, yeah, I found a lot to relate to there. Yeah, yeah. It, it talk, he talks about dealing with racism and discrimination and prejudice and um, and is able to still make it lighthearted and, and the whole thing moves really, really nicely. I just cannot recommend it highly enough. Mm-hmm. So check it out. And it just reflecting, you know, on like Master of None and The Big Sick and uh, Hassan Minaj's Homecoming, like we've just been very fortunate to be able to experience all these immigrant stories in this way this last year, you know? Uh, I just feel very kind of hashtag blessed to be part of pop culture at this time. Uh, Hashtag spaghetti club. That's right. To be able to like (laughs) participate in pop culture and and comment on it at a time when we're seeing uh, a lot of uh, minority stories get told. It's pretty, pretty awesome. So, Hey Dave, I, I want to tell you uh, about a um, a segue that transitions us smoothly from the content of the show into an advertisement. Can I tell mm. you about that? Tell us about it. All right, this transition is so good. It's a sweet little segue that gets us from the show. It into... doesn't sound very sweet. It feels pretty clunky right now. Is it clunky? Because it feel, it, it's feeling pretty clunky. That was the opposite of the intention. I see. Guys, if you're like me. You hate shopping. I hate shopping for clothes. I hate it. I have always hated it. I will never not hate it. I have had girlfriends try. I've had my wife try. I've had my mom when I was younger try. Hey, I'll buy you anything you want as long as you go to, go shopping with me. Okay. Oh, I hate this. I don't want to try anything else on. I don't even uh, – I don't want to do this. I hate it. But I live a dichotomy because I also like to look good in clothes. <laughs> So uh, I'm kind of impossible to deal with. And I imagine some of you are probably right there with me where you want to look stylish and cool, but you do not want to spend the time, the mental energy to get there, to get stylish and cool. I don't know what stylish and cool even is. I know what I like when I see it on me, but I don't know how to shop for myself. Good news. Our sponsor this week, Bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L, is there to help you. Bombfell is a service that pairs you with a dedicated personal stylist who will buy clothes just for you that fit you right and that work to your personal style, make you look cool, make you look good, or make you just comfortable. You kind of kind of dictate to them what you're looking for, and they, with their amazing good taste and their patience to actually find good clothes, cater the clothes 
to your needs. It's pretty cool. I did it. What you do is you sign up, you give them your, uh, your measurements, your, you know, uh, what size clothes you, you wear, and you kind of describe the, the things you like, the, what you like to wear, what kinds of clothes you're looking for. Are you looking for work clothes? Are you looking for stay-at-home clothes? I kind of told them some things about myself, like I have a, a kid, you know, like just things that help them get a sense of who you are. Yeah. Here's then, the vomit-proof collection. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, very, that's very useful for me these days. Um, and then uh, you, you kind of t- – yeah, you tell them what you want and then you get a email from the, the – stylist that they have assigned to you that gives you a preview of the clothes they picked out. And you can go, I don't like that. Or, Ooh, I do like that, but maybe a different color, all kinds of stuff. So you can, you kind of can get into a discussion almost with them in figuring out what you like. And once you like the picture of what they want, they send it to you. And then you haven't even paid for anything yet. You have, you've $0 down. There's no membership fee, nothing. You have, you have done $0. They send you the clothes in a box that also has a return slip if you want to return the clothes. If they don't fit right, if you don't like them, whatever. They, you send it right back. But you get them and you check them out. You try them on. If you don't like them, you send it back. If you like them, then you pay for the clothes. You can also set up at the original time. You set up a, uh, a budget that you're looking for so you kind of know what to expect. I did this, and I will be completely honest with you guys. I didn't tell my wife that I was doing this as part of our sponsorship. I just ordered the clothes, and then when I got there, I was like, hey, honey, I wanted, I got some clothes. I want to do like a fashion show. And this is going to sound so fake and so phony, and it is not. It is absolutely true. <laughs> I wish I had recorded it. I kick myself for not recording it because I would have played the actual recording of my wife. But she goes, oh, my god. You look like a million bucks. You can dress like, yourself now like an adult. Yeah, like a real human being. And, and then she also goes, and I'm, you can tell I'm not making this up because I wouldn't have made this up. She goes, your butt looks awesome in those pants. <laughs> and I'm gonna t- my butt will take any help it can get, believe me. Um, I, got, I got long pants. I got shorts. I got a short sleeve button up, and I got a long sleeve button up. And she was so blown away by how well they fit. I agree, dude. They, f- they fit me better than clothes that I've had tailored. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating this. My wife was like, I've never seen – she goes, I don't even like short sleeve button-up shirts on guys. And that shirt is looks amazing on you. I love it. So I'm really, really impressed. And this was from never – no one – you know, I didn't send a picture of myself. I, I just gave them my measurements. And the stylist is so skilled that they knew what they were doing. I'm, I'm really impressed with this. So <laughs> – what we're going to do for you guys, if you want to try it out, is go to bombfell.com slash filmcast. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com slash filmcast. And uh, you will get $25 off your first purchase. So give it a shot. There's really nothing to lose. You, you, don't, you don't pay any money to sign up. You can just check out what the stylist thinks is good for you. And if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. Or you can actually kind of have this cool back and forth with the stylist to narrow down your style. And they even say, you know, it could t- sometimes it takes a couple of orders for us to understand the kinds of things you like. And that's totally cool. Totally part of the process. It's awesome. It's a personal shopper for you. This is something I wish I'd had a long time ago. So <laughs> I hope you guys give it a shot. Bombfell.com slash filmcast. I think we can all agree that any service that can make Jeff's butt look good 
mm-hmm. is something that's enormously powerful. You know, yeah. Uh, it, there's no doubt about that. So. In fact, Hashtag that is our new. <laughs> that is our new uh, a criteria for sponsoring the slash filmcast. Is does it make my butt look good? And if so. <laughs> Then you can sponsor our show. Indeed, yeah, indeed. Uh, Pro is, tip, guys: you you want stuff that makes your butt look good, you know, in general. You do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm learning this. I'm learning this. <laughs> I, I got married somehow, not knowing that, but I uh, I you know I managed to fool someone into marrying me. So um, I didn't mention this at the top, but uh, Emmys happened this last week too. Um, mm-hmm. So right. I was going to bring it up Emmys if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Sure. Let's get into film news, guys. Uh, you can find all this at SlashFilm.com. I uh, want to mention a few stories this week. Firstly, the Emmy nominations were announced this week. And uh, wanted to just give a shout-out to some of the Emmys. Um, and, you know, you know I, I used to give this, like, very long caveat before we talked about any awards. And I stopped doing that over time. <laughs> but I really should still give it, which is that, you know, these awards, they're decided by uh, small groups of people that whose, whose process we don't necessarily have that much insider knowledge of and uh, who, you, you know, who can be swayed by a variety of different things. So uh, best to just in general, uh, not just Emmys, but just awards in general, not take them too seriously. And, and by that, I mean, don't get too upset about about them in general. Um, but, uh, I, no, you're I, absolutely right, Dave. You, you don't need to make that caveat. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, Saturday Night Live and Westworld each got 22 nominations. Uh, HBO got 111 nominations and Netflix wow. got 91 nominations. Insane. Got 91 yeah. nominations. How, many, how many damn awards do they give out? <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, outstanding drama series, guys. Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, House of Cards, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and Westworld. You'll notice that um, four of those seven categories are streaming, like from streaming services. Insane. Um, yeah. So I-, I wonder how much of that world. is just due to the fact that they could just the voters can just sit back and like stream all right, those like shows ease of right? access. Well, is- you don't even have to shows, worry about screener discs. The man. shows tend to be better. I mean, there's that too. <laughs> uh, there is, but there are surprises there. Like I, I liked Stranger Things. I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed like us talking about everything. How the hell did that show get nominated for outstanding drama series? I, I am actually, very confused. I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a best drama series nom- at all. Qu- the leftover show. But- yeah, Come on, the, 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 that's that's what I, I just finished giving the caveat, right? Like, yeah. not, like uh, you know, you know, Devendra. In a world where the Emmys are supposed to represent the best quality, I would be super pissed. But I'm trying to just take a <laughs> well, breath. You can, you, can, you can contain your emotions. I'm David. trying. I'm trying to will, con- that's fine. That's fine. Go I'm, ahead. Let I'm, loose I'm on the. I'm gonna have my thing. I'm cool because with that. I've been I've been freaking championing this show forever. You know, Dave. Like you just got on board the leftovers bandwagon. <laughs> I've been here for three years. It's been rough, guys. I didn't even know if the show would last beyond one season. So I'm very glad it got to where it did. But yeah, the uh, and out was nominated for uh, best supporting. Uh, but that's it, and that's such a damn. Yeah, not, shame not even Carrie Coon, although she was nominated for uh, yeah. Fargo. Uh, yeah. Kind of one of those like nominated for the wrong show type dealies. But I think, I think so. we should. Yeah. I think we should make bold predictions, guys. Uh, and I'm going to start. I'm going to say The Handmaid's Tale wins Best Drama Series. Oh, huh. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, outstanding comedy series. A couple of nominations here to mention as well. Atlanta, Blackish, Master of None, Modern Family, Silicon Valley, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Veep. Again, uh, HBO really well represented there. 
uh, and Netflix, well represented there with Master of None as well, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I, I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, outstanding limited series, Big Little Lies, Fargo, Feud, yeah. Genius, and The Night Of. Uh, I'm rooting for Big Little Lies myself. I Me think that was too. A great, great miniseries. Yeah, um, for sure. But uh, God, you know, you're talking about Stranger Things in the best drama category. Devendra, I, I mean, in yeah. my opinion, the, uh, the the thing that is most infuriating is the actress who played Barb was nominated God for Best Supporting it. Actress. Yep. Uh, which, like, guys, it's, it's you, she, you she's can't like, give a meme. An I was going to say she, she wins. She was winner for Best Meme. That's, yeah. Uh, Sh- Shan- Shannon Purser was nominated, and look, she's not a bad actress, right? But. Uh, to think that she is one of the uh, like best guest actresses in a drama series, yeah. it's, it's absolutely ludicrous, in my opinion. The show it's itself forgot ludicrous. about the character. Like yeah. The show <laughs> forgot how to wrap up that character. And it just yeah. felt like, they were, oh, crap, what happened to Barb? Oh, there she is. And that's it. <laughs> that, is great, that is a great description of Dimitra. <laughs> There's great. no way that, uh, that Nicole Kidman doesn't win an Emmy for Big Little Lies, right? Uh, she's no so way. Good. So good in Big Little Lies. Get enough eye popping, jaw dropping, heart stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one month free trial now. Um, but there were a, a bunch of prominent snubs. Um, uh, so Ed Harris didn't get nominated for Westworld, although uh, Westworld did receive a bunch of nominations. Uh, as you mentioned, Devendra Leftovers didn't receive any uh, uh, drama nomination. Um, 13 Reasons Why and The Americans, none of them received nominations as well. Uh, the Good Place didn't, but I think the one that uh, another one that kind of upsets me is Michael McKean not getting a nomination for his performance in Better Call Saul this season. I thought he was just absolutely extraordinary, uh, one of the best performances on TV this year. So heartbreaking, um, yeah, yeah, and just um, I, it's 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 absolutely nuts that he did not get a supporting uh, nomination. Uh, Jonathan Banks did get one, though, for Better Call Saul. John Lithgow for The Crown. Mandy Patinkin for Homeland. Michael Kelly for House of Cards. David Harbour for Stranger Things. Ron Cephas in This Is Us. And Jeffrey Wright in Westworld. A lot of deserving names on there. uh, But I really think um, Michael McKean, probably uh, slightly more deserving uh, than Jonathan Banks in this particular Mm -hmm. season of the show. Um, all right. What else? Any anything else that uh, you guys want to mention in terms of? Like, I, thought, uh, I mean, uh, so there, there's a good slash film post about the biggest snubs and surprises yeah. too. So taking everything you also said into consideration, though, Dave, like uh, Insecure, I thought was a tremendous show, and I wish I wish that show got as much love as other things on HBO. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. And also Crazy like Ex-Girlfriend. It, did, it didn't get a single nomination. Uh, Insecure nope. did not. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a great show. And even like, even the, uh, even girls, like for the final season, it feels like it, that show has gotten plenty of, uh, you know, awards throughout its time, but this season was probably its best. And it's weird how everybody just seemed tired of it, I guess. It did, did get a few uh, nominations for guest actor, including Riz Ahmed uh, and mm-hmm. Becky Ann Baker. Uh, girls did, but not, not much else. 
Um, so, yeah. Jeff, anything on here that you're really excited by or disappointed in? Uh, I mean, I think I've spoken up about Big Little Lies and how much that show I think is is just a top of its class and all the performances, especially Nicole Kidman. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I, I'm I mean, there happy, are so I'm many. happy that Baskets got a couple nominations, not yeah. for mm-hmm. Outstanding Comedy, but uh, Zach Galifianakis did get a nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. Um, yep. And also Louis Anderson got a nomination as well. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, Emmy, no- Emmy nominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they happened this week. And they happen. They will be consequential later on when the winners are announced. You know what also happened this week, guys? What happened, Devendra? The new Doctor Who was announced. That's right. And the internet, like, exploded. Because the internet's a- stupid. The internet is stupid, guys. Like, just, except for our listeners, we love you. Yeah, uh, we love but, you guys. Yeah, Jodie Whittaker, the first uh, woman to be Doctor Who, and I think that's kind of a big deal for the show. I kind of fell off of it during the Matt Smith era. I didn't see any. Like, I saw some of the Tenant stuff. I didn't really see any of the uh, last. Uh, what's his face? Thick of it, dude. Right. So yeah, it's. I think it's just interesting because this show is still such a big cultural phenomenon. Uh, kind of a big deal. I think, and I hope like everybody whining about it will actually just watch it and see what happens. But it is it is really weird, right? I think it was Kumail Nanjiani who tweeted like, "This is a show <laughs> about a time traveling alien with two hearts, and he like he can sh- he can like shape shift and shit." And you what you can't believe is that he can be represented by a woman this season. That's that's amazing to me. Uh, but yeah, just, just kind of a good thing. I just want to think it's worth mentioning. Yeah. And Jodie Whittaker There's... too. Like, uh, I like her work. Uh, uh, I haven't seen too much of her in Broadchurch, but I really liked her in Attack the Block. Uh, the yeah. idea that a shape-shifting super being wouldn't choose to be a woman is more insane than that it would. <laughs> <laughs> she had to issue a statement. I want to tell the fans not to be scared by my gender. Uh, because this, is, this is a really exciting time and Doctor Who represents everything that's exciting about change, end quote. It is a shame that she had to say that, but uh, she had to. And uh, I don't know that people really took that advice to heart. But I think I mean, this is just it's... a weird. This is just a weird, like, yeah, five years where there's just this weird growing pain. It's like a stretch mark that's happening as we all, as our <laughs> hearts pop culture. grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. It's we all being this this idiot stupid mentality is is phasing out and it's having some anger pains of being phased out i like the way you're describing this jeff like i I think a lot of like not just pop culture but like just the world right now right like the global like governments all over the world the rise of nationalism and everything this is a stretch mark of humanity (laughs) as we try to expand into something better and more progressive it's the uh final sequence in a zombie film <laughs> uh, where the zombie roars to life one last time uh, before getting put down for good. Only this time, the zombie is ignorance, guys. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's time you get a shoot in the head. Speaking of zombies, uh, George A. Romero passed away this week, guys. Uh, a legend who helped create a genre or a subgenre unto itself, uh, without whom uh, shows like The Walking Dead would not exist. Edgar Wright wrote a beautiful um, 
uh, tribute to him on his blog, like saying, you know, Edgar Wright saying he owes his film career to to George Romero. Uh, you know, what a talent uh, who has contributed so much to film culture. Uh, he will be missed. Devendra, I know you're a fan of uh, uh, many of his films. Yeah, I just want to say, like, it, sometimes going back and watching older horror movies, they're, they're a little rough, right? It, maybe the special effects don't quite work or the atmosphere is weird or you just aren't really into it. But freaking Night of the Living Dead, that is a perfect movie. That movie is terrifying. That movie works today. Like, even, like, he, I think he was one of the first people to really imbue the idea of social commentary within horror because horror is also just a perfect genre for that. So I think we kind of see echoes of that even today with things like Get Out. So, yeah, the dude is a legend. If you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, freaking get on it. Like, just go do that. And then also Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, his versions are tremendous films and worth watching for sure. Oscar winner Martin Landau also passed away this week at the age of 89. Uh, a lot of us probably know of his work in... Hold the, the strings! <laughs> Hold the strings! Such a right. talented, such a talented right, dude. Um, <laughs> you know, Ed Wood, Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. North by Northwest. Uh, Freaking Crimes and Misdemeanors, dude. Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of the great films of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. I know people have strong opinions about Woody Allen. Crimes and Misdemeanors is an incredible piece of art, and he's awesome in it. Indeed. Um, so yet another talent. Uh, 2017, uh, a year where a lot of legends are passing away, uh, and it's sad to see, but we are grateful for their contributions and uh, grateful that we can continue to enjoy them after uh It's really after sad. Gone. Yeah, and the Martin Landau news came a couple hours after the Romero news. Like it's yeah. it, it, that was a weird double hitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so one other final piece of film news I want to talk about, guys, and it has to do with our favorite topic on the podcast, uh, Avatar. Oh, I thought you were going to say how my butt looks in those pants again. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so, guys, Vulture <laughs> Vulture came out with. A hilarious, in my opinion, a hilarious article about uh, Avatar Land, right? Like the Pandora Land uh, that Disney opened. That you and I are going to go to, Dave? Yes. That one? Yes. Basically trying to unpack the question, why did Disney spend all this money on a Pandora theme park? (laughs) Right? Like the the question (laughs) is, why did they spend $500 million on an Avatar theme park? And like so much shade is thrown at Avatar in this article. It's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The, the headline of the article is the inside story of why Disney spent half a billion dollars on an Avatar theme park. And there is one answer to that question, guys. Uh, and the answer to that question is the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Uh, and, they, you know, so they, they, they saw wizarding world of Harry Potter. They're like, this is incredible. Nothing like this has ever been attempted before. We, as Disney, need to figure out a way to one-up Wizarding World of Harry Potter. We can't have our, our theme park mastery, the crown of theme park king, taken away from us. Um, and so they thought, hey, hey, Avatar, here's a thing that we can, uh, we can capitalize on. Uh, and guys, James Cameron, um, the, the, he, he has said, there's going to be several more Avatar sequels. December 2016, December 2017, December 2018, those sequels are right around the corner, guys. 
So we're going to be opening. Get on that, Matt. Get on that Pandora land and make sure it hits that time frame because you don't want to miss out That's right. all that sweet sequel rub. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're like, let's get going on Pandora land because, uh, you know. Kick it into high gear. Kick it in high gear. So, we can, so we can get some synergy going, man. Synergy. These I'm floating the... islands won't build themselves, That's guys. Right. That's right. right. Uh, but I, I, I'm actually, I'm confused. How is Disney actually involved in this, right? Right. That's, a, a, that's a Fox movie. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. It was a very risky move um, to be involved in it uh, because it's not a, mo- it's not a movie property that they own. Um, right. But they, they wanted something that was, you know, Davindra. I, I don't, I don't think I need to explain to you that this is the biggest movie of all time. This is and, true. And, and hey, they, there was an opportunity for a partnership. It opened up, so they're like, let's do this. Um, so uh, this is hilarious. I'm going to read a portion of this. Um, can we just before you do? Can yes. we just caveat this and say all of us, <laughs> all of us, have gotten many, many notes from people that have been there, and there hasn't been a single one of, of them where the people haven't been completely blown away by Pandora Land, all right? right? That's, that's right. True. That's true. Sure. That's true. I mean, okay, define so go blown, ahead. Define blown away, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll define blown away as the opposite of what you're about to read. I see, I see. Um, so here we go. Cameron uh, announced in 2013 that there wouldn't be two Avatar sequels. There would be three. They had opened in 2016, 2017, 2018. Around the sec- at the same time, the second phase of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, the even more ambitious Diagon Alley opened to rave reviews, raising the stakes even more. But maybe the biggest thing to befall the company during that period was the 2012 announcement that Disney had acquired Lucasfilm, meaning Disney now owned the rights to Star Wars. <laughs> Indiana Jones, and a number of smaller properties. Suddenly, <laughs> the need to build a massive theme park based on a franchise that, didn't, uh, that Disney didn't actually own seemed unnecessary, especially when in 2015, Iger announced the creation of massive Star Wars-themed lands for both Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood studios in Florida. Meanwhile, those Avatar sequels, no closer to being completed, and the land itself was falling behind schedule. A new opening date of 2017 for Pandora, the world of Avatar, was announced in pencil. A bigger problem was that interest in Avatar had waned since the original blockbuster debut. After a number of delays, the first Avatar sequel is now scheduled for 2020. In uh, 2014, for the film's five-year anniversary, Forbes published a piece about how Avatar had left no cultural footprint whatsoever. Two years later, BuzzFeed would publish a difficult quiz asking readers, do you remember anything at all about Avatar? As the years (laughs) between the announcement and the opening dragged on, Disney became increasingly concerned. Um, anyway, the, the whole article is great, but I, I think it's hilarious that they 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 built this land basically trying to compete compete with Harry Potter, thinking they would capitalize on the sequels coming out. The sequels didn't come out, and then in the meantime, they acquired Star Wars, which is like a way cooler thing they can build a park around, and they already have, have already announced plans to do that. I wonder if James Cameron is just like persona non grata at all Disney parks. Like, it, it, go go make your movie. It just, make it just, your movie. You could come back here. It just feels like Pandora Land is like this huge uh, accident of history. You know, like that <laughs> that if things had turned like that slightly is, differently, like Pandora Land wouldn't even exist. You know, that is a accident of history that is dazzling and delighting fans of all ages <laughs> as we speak. So this week, D23 happened. It's kind of Disney's version of Comic-Con that they they have all their own announcements uh, at D23. And this uh, Star Wars hotel was announced, right? So that's the one I just alluded to that Disney now owns. They they own Star Wars now. So they can make 
uh, a theme park based off it. They don't they don't need to do Avatar anymore, but they they still have Avatar because they already did that. Uh, well, they all they have the the theme park. They're doing a, a Star Wars land called Edge of the Galaxy, but also this hotel. It's two things. Yes. Yes. Um, so well, it sounds like the hotel is going to be part of that. Yeah, whole, that, that's, right? that's, that's how they're like, like you could work, go in. Right? The, so, so basically, what uh, the the gist of this is uh, that it is a completely immersive Star Wars experience. Like you go in, you're, you're dressed like Star Wars characters. Uh, when you go into your hotel room, it like apparently it looks like space uh, outside the hotel window. Yeah, the um, hotel is basically a starship. Apparently, like you're yeah, on a ship with other people. There's yeah. costumes. There are uh, actors playing characters, and there are storylines that are catered to every guest. Yeah, so like you, you have a storyline that you can go out and explore the park in like a different way, and it, it's like you're custom, given quests customized yeah. to you, right? It's Westworld. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think did I talk about this ever on the show? Because I, no, I have I a, so, a friend. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yep. I have a friend who is one of the people that helped design this idea, and they have tested it a bunch of times actually in Frontierland as Western storylines catered to the um, the, the guests. And in fact, I almost <laughs> – I got close to being one of the actors that was part of Frontierland. I have friends that did it. Um, and uh, it sounds ex- extraordinary, like the, the the tech and the level of sophistication that they bring to bear on this. Oh, in man. fact, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but I heard, <laughs> one of the things that they were talking about is they have signage. They have the technology exists for signage in the park that draws your eye. It's something that you have to look at. You, you know, in order to complete your quest or whatever, you go to this thing and you look at this sign, this digital sign. But what it's doing is looking back at you and reading your eye print mm. so it knows which guest is in which place at which time. So it's like uh, uh, minority, minority Report, like the ident scan in Minority Report. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they can cater those moments to specific guests. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that I know that this what is going to happen at the Star Wars Hotel, but I know that Disney has that tech and we're experimenting with it. It'll probably so, be so, more so Jeff, of the face print. I, I think this is really the big question for you is, <laughs> gun to your head, Pandora Land or this new Star Wars theme park? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, come on! I'm gonna. Uh, I've never claimed that Avatar I'm exists just, in the I'm same just place messing, in my I'm heart as messing, Star Wars. I'm just messing with you, obviously. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, how excited are you for this, Jeff? <laughs> Extremely excited. In fact, I'm terrified of the crazy crunch that will happen when all of us try to book our hotel rooms when this thing finally gets finished and they finally put up uh, reservations online. It's going to be like Comic-Con level scrambling of trying to book your dates. But I'm going to be there, $2,000 a night, guys. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be crazy. But what – I mean it's like cosplay and LARPing and theme park and resort all rolled into one in the universe that you would dream of being able to do that in. I mean, come on. It's the it, greatest it thing ever. Everything geeks have dreamed of, but also, yeah, you, I'm glad you brought up LARPing because that is, that's basically all this is, you know, the thing a lot of geeks do uh, for free or for cheap with, uh, you know, with their friends is uh, actually get into these roles. It's bringing it LARPing is really, into the mainstream is what this bringing is. Bringing LARPing to the main thing, mainstream, but also like, this is the culmination of like Disney owning Star Wars, right? This is the pure consumerization of this geek property. And it's going to be awesome, but 
Yeah, it, it, I, I guess a little worrying, and uh, I, I'm really interested in seeing how the costs will break down, because once you step into any of Disney's things, right, like money, just like the concept of money even disappears a little, right, because be then you're dealing now. with credits, <laughs> and like, man, I just wonder how much they're going to milk out of people with this. Well, it, you know, it's not, it's LARPing if instead of, you know, throwing Nerf at, at people, you, it, the quests are go ride that awesome ride. I mean, that's what they're going to do. They're going right. to task you with going to different parts of the park and interacting with characters and going and riding rides. It's, it's giving a structure to your day at Disneyland in a way that has never existed before. And I think that in itself yeah. is a really neat idea. So I'm, I mean, I could not be more in on and this. And the quests sound interesting to you. I knew uh, Germain wrote it up at, uh, at um, Gizmodo, but... I think the idea is that you could get a quest. You could like see Chewbacca talking to somebody, uh, run into him, get he'll rope you into a quest, and like depending on how well you do riding the the Millennium Falcon ride, you could get credits. You could get yelled at for being terrible, or you could have bounty hunters chasing you throughout the park. Which yes. honestly, that sounds awesome. I just want to be terrible at it just to avoid bounty hunters all day. That sounds I mean, great. This sounds like the the dream I had when I was six, and all of us had, right? It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you wish a theme park was. I mean, it's Westworld, right? It's Westworld, but not with with that. With, you know, without, without all the, the sex robots. Yeah, right. psychosexual uh, sure. craziness. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, they have a lot to live up to, right? Like, I think the the expectations for this are sky high, but but I'm... the bad version of this is still awesome. <laughs> Honestly, is the it? bad. Ver- the, the version where you get a little punch card and you have to go ride eight rides in a specific order is still cool. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds pretty... And you're pretty in lame. a freaking Jedi robes and you have to go and talk to the smuggler in the in the thing and then order the French fries. Like, <laughs> but they're called, you know, Kessler chips. It's like, oh, the Kessel chips. You know, I don't know. It, it, it is... Even the bad version is going to be amazing for... <laughs> <laughs> for kids, you know, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to ta- I'm so taking my kid there. Awesome. That's the reason I had a kid, David. Okay. Okay, jeez. You don't need to take it out of me, Jeff. <laughs> anyway, uh well, we're looking forward to when this new Star Wars uh land opens and uh I'll be interested to see if and how it eclipses the new Pandora land that that just opened. Um we got to move on to our review before we do that. I want to thank some people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, a this donation comes from Michelle uh, Christina. Who, oh, I'm sorry, Miss. Thank you, Jennifer from the Slack, for helping me out. Someone in the Slack helped out someone else, and as a result, they had to donate to the podcast. So thanks for That's both awesome. people. Uh, thanks to Patrick Simon, Christina De Silva, Nathan Stark, Bill H, uh, Bill Van H, Bernard Lenz, Jonathan Dowler, and Rahul Johnny. Thanks for your contributions. Thanks also to, also to Rick Lord. Nicholas Spangler and Elaine Del Vecchio for your subscription to the rate of two dollars per month. We really appreciate you guys contributing. Oh, Caleb, who as well contributing at the rate of two dollars per month. Really appreciate you guys donating to uh, the podcast. And if you want to support what we do here on the podcast, go to slashfilm.com. Click on the slashfilmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to paypal.me. That's paypal.me/filmcast. That's paypal.me/the word filmcast. Uh, and we really appreciate all the money that you donate that goes to help us defraying the costs of putting on the show. Let's move on to our view of War for the Planet of the Apes.
now you're here to finish us off for good. That was from the trailer of War for the Planet of the Apes, the new film by director Matt Reeves. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. After the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. This is the third film in kind of this most recent trilogy that began with uh, Rise, continued with Dawn, and now concludes with War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, It did okay at the box office this weekend. Uh, It made a little bit over $50 million leading... You know, there's been this narrative going on if you read, like, Mm -hmm. Deadline. Uh, People are saying... Oh, guys, Rotten Tomatoes is killing. It's killing movies like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's killing movies like The Mummy. Rotten Tomatoes is ruining the movie industry. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I would dispute the idea that Rotten Tomatoes is the factor versus the idea that the movie is good or bad, or the fact whether the movie is good or bad. But um, what is kind of dismaying is that the reviews of War for the Planet of the Apes whether we agree with them or not, we're rapturous. <laughs> Everyone loved this yeah. movie. Uh, and it was not enough to propel it to a, a box office performance that was better than the last film. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm many... surprised we got this movie at all. I mean, the last movie did well, right? But uh... it, did, it did extremely well, actually. Yeah? Um, okay. but, but I think you know what is surprising to Vindra is these are uh, moody films. They are not mm-hmm. like what you'd they're consider quiet. blockbuster movies. There's, they're yeah. pretty quiet. Um, a lot of the movies, uh, there's vast stretches of them that don't have any dialogue. And uh, they are not about human characters. You know, mm-hmm. um, Each of these movies uh, has a whole different set of human characters in them. We're you know? reading against the humans, too, Like right, uh, by right. this point. Like the Caesar, played by Andy Serkis, is the main character. The people around Caesar, mm-hmm. they are the main characters. They've made this trilogy about the apes. Uh, yeah. And maybe there was a limit to the public's appetite for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it's only so many apes they can take. That's right. That's right. Uh, but... I, I I remember a slash film cast episode way like from when we were starting. I forget who it was, but I think it was one of the guests who like imagined a time where we could get a Planet of the Apes movie that was just like the apes, right? That was just focused on the apes and it was quiet and the world was already over. And it's weird that we've actually gotten that. I, I remember talking about Rise of the Planet of the Apes and mm-hmm. like watching the trailers for it and thinking that that movie looked terrible because uh, <laughs> it starred James Franco. You know, yeah, we and, didn't expect much. Yeah. Uh, didn't expect much, but it was a great film. And then mm-hmm. uh, Dawn, I thought, followed it up tremendously. Yeah, uh, Matt Reeves really brought a lot to that that film. So uh, I think we're we're all fans of this series going into War for the Planet of the Apes. Chef Kanata, your thoughts on uh, this third film in this ostensible trilogy of the apes? Oh, well, I think uh, I think we have to really put this as as one of the great trilogies in genre filmmaking. I, th- I think it's it's in that discussion with Lord of the Rings and the original Star Wars trilogy. I mean, this is it's an amazing thing that they've done with this property. But I find myself in a in a strange position with this movie because. On the one hand, I think it's tremendous. I think it is what the movie is is really powerful, really evocative, really well done, and uh, moving. Uh, but I also, uh, and I try not to do this, but I also criticize it for the movie that it isn't. Um, and I think that it's a bit of a shame that it, it doesn't for me. Um, fulfill the promise that the end of Rise gave me. 
and the title of this movie gives me, which yeah. is oh. a a war for the planet of the apes. This movie is not that. Uh, we'll get more into spoilers, but this is a very small movie. It doesn't start that way. You think in the first right. ten minutes, I'm like, oh my god, we're in the war for the planet of the apes. Like, is, is it going to be nonstop crazy. this? You know, like that was yeah. my question. Is it going to be nonstop this? Because if so, mind blowing, right? Yeah, it's like that's what I expected. That's what I thought we were going <laughs> to yeah. get. It's a we're in the war. We're finally have arrived. This has been the promise that we have all. It's all built to this, and then the movie just decides not to do that. <laughs> and what it does is really quite beautiful and like i said very evocative and i, I mean a powerful in its own way but it's powerful in a way that isn't what i was hoping for it wasn't what <laughs> i was promised and it isn't what the title of the movie even suggests and so there is part of me that's a little disappointed that that's the third part of this trilogy that what we came to is actually this very small moment that isn't about really a, a a war it's about ideologies and sort of perspective and it's but very what personal. is war really about jeff no i understand i understand but it <laughs> but it is very it's very small scale uh it is very small scale it and, it, and i thought we were ramping up to large scale uh, mm. and that's a bit of a, a bit of a bummer but yeah yeah uh, sorry go ahead jeff no you can chime in if you want so uh a couple thoughts here firstly uh I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hui Chen Bui wrote an article at Slashfilm.com basically saying these movies were titled incorrectly. Uh, <laughs> like they, they, this it, is it, a pedant's worst nightmare. It should have been, it should have been um, uh, Dawn that should have been the first film. Uh-huh. War, War should have been the second film. And then uh, Rise should have been the third film. I actually think that's pretty smart. It's the first time I'm hearing that, but that actually really works. Uh, because, like, Dawn is the beginning of everything, and then, you know, uh, War, that, that is the most action-filled apes film, is the second film. Right, yeah. Um, and then Rise, you know, and we'll get into why that is appropriate later on in spoilers, but uh, <laughs> suffice to say, they rise. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the movies are titled horribly wrong. Um, I think... Uh, so I, I do Periscope broadcasts, like I do a live reaction when I see movies, and, and uh, people tune in. They follow me at Dave Chensky. Um, and one of the things that someone said, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the person's name, but this movie should have been called Skirmish for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> effective yeah. yeah, or uh, Escape for the Planet of the yeah. Apes. Or so, I don't know. <laughs> like something um, that indicates a small-scale journey, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, that's, and, you know, and what, that, what it is is really a kind of a, – a, a powerful thing. I think that the performances are great. I think Woody Harrelson is great. I think Steve Zahn is absolutely awesome in this movie. I just loved him and the character that he is in this film. And there are beautiful small moments. There is a a wonderful sort of new threat and a new evolution to what the apes and the humans are dealing with. That actually has a lot of ramifications and is a really interesting metaphor. You know, sci-fi, the best sci-fi speaks directly to the real world in, you know, allegory and metaphor. And I think that this trilogy does that in a really, really powerful way. This movie does it very, very well. Um, and it's a, it, these are personal stories. You get really into Caesar's mind and his personal problems. They're sort of the, the thing he's dealing with in, for the most of this movie happens very abruptly and I don't think is – as impactful as it should have been, uh, but 
for the most part, I really, really like this. I, I just think the tech is so impressive that you really feel for these apes and you care yeah. for them. And, and it's amazing to see actual emotion and performance shine through uh, the masks of technology that are, that are here. Yeah. Um, we, we are through I the just looking glass when it comes to photorealism. I mean, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't I think mean, the movie achieves it 100% of the time, but the vast majority of the time, it is indistinguishable from reality. And definitely and, and not only that, they yeah. definitely like, put all their money and horsepower right. behind Caesar's yeah. face. Yeah. And not only that, but I never doubt what I'm looking at. Yeah. I never, I never am. I'm never seeing the effects. I'm seeing characters, and to think, you know, we went from Jar Jar to this, right? In in how many years? That's not very many. It's pretty, pretty incredible. And uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot to like about this movie. I think it's great. It just deflated me slightly that this is where we end the trilogy. And I think this is right. one of the great trilogies of, uh, in sci-fi. And it has to be in that pantheon of great trilogies. A lot of people in the chat room and also in the Periscope, I forgot to bring this up, like a lot of people are saying, guys, the war is the one inside Caesar's, you know, for Caesar's soul, guys. It was inside him all along. It was inside him yeah. all along, yeah. which is a, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> You know, I think is a pretty silly defense because a, I don't think a lot of people are going to interpret it that way, and b, all the advertising, like the poster, shows like a huge ape army <laughs> facing off against a huge human army. You know, right? So you don't title a movie "War for the Planet of the Apes" and then have your poster have a huge ape army against a huge human army, unless you're setting up this massive war, this massive conflict, which. Um, you know, I don't think the movie really delivers on. But uh, I didn't. Sure, I really sure. didn't expect you to agree with me on this one, Dave. I'm I'm surprised. That being I'm, said, but, I, I mean, uh, I, I I'm kind of in the same camp as you, Jeff. I I loved every other aspect of this movie. You know, right? Um, yeah. I will. So, Devendra, let's let's hear your thoughts first. <laughs> what what did you think of this? Movie? I mean, I agree with you guys about the title, especially like you look at the. You guys probably haven't seen the trailers, but you look at the poster, and the poster definitely tells a very specific idea of what a war for the Planet of the Apes should be. So I can understand um, being disappointed that it wasn't quite that. And I honestly noticed that, too, like ha- pretty much as the movie was in, he's like, oh, like we're we're not going to get like a big thing like this is it. Um, but at the same time, I, I just don't care because what we got is fucking amazing. Like this movie is astounding in how quiet it is, how sensitive it is. Like this is a movie that takes its time to do pretty much everything. And I love how. They've really built up Caesar as a character that we we want to see him succeed, and I just it's it's just kind of crazy to me, right? Like this is a series where we're hoping for these apes to survive and make it. What we're really hoping for is the destruction of humanity and humanity. We it's were seeing Devendra, it's because they're more human than us. They're more human That's than true. us. Yes. You know what I mean? But in the last film, we also saw the idea of like humanity wrestling with like, you know, should we should we be fighting the apes? Should we try to work with them? Like they they are kind of amazing guys. Um, and now it's like we're presented with like just mainly very bad humans doing trying to do very bad things. And I think like the just the moral ideas of what the series is saying is kind of uh, intriguing to me. Just like uh, how the hell did this movie get made? This movie, it, yeah, it, yeah, it the just fact astounds that this movie me. This is is incredible. I mean. Um... I, I think it was uh, the last movie. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was. Was it Dawn? I'm trying. It was Dawn. It was Dawn. Okay, yeah. Dawn. Yes. Uh, like I think the first, you know, twenty thirty minutes of that movie, yes. there's no yes. human dialogue at all, which is amazing. Uh, and that, yeah. I, I think I actually said the same thing during that review too, because 
I was astounded by what they did there. And I think that movie kind of goes a more conventional route of like giving us a, a bad guy who is really interesting too. Um, and like having that big showdown, this movie kind of avoids all that in an interesting way too. Like this is an anti blockbuster. This movie, just the fact that Matt Reeves uh, and his writers were able to get away with this. Uh, yeah. It's a miracle that the Bombach. movie exists and that it takes so many in chances. this way. Yeah, and yeah. then it succeeds uh, in in uh, pretty much all of what it tries to accomplish. It it gets everything right. It gets character beats right because we we feel for Caesar and what he's going through here. Um, it gets I, I, the series has always had like a great allegorical history. Uh, some of the sequels didn't quite live up to that very well. Uh, but just even from the first movie, like there are political ideas going on. I love how this movie kind of keeps that going. Like. This is the blockbuster we we kind of need to describe the world today and like what humanity can descend into. It's it almost feels like a big flashing red warning sign. Um, yeah, I just loved everything, and I, I, it's kind of interesting too that we're seeing Andy Circus making the talk show rounds, uh, doing a lot of publicity around the idea that it's him. It is his face. Like they are, they are mapping a lot of it, and the artists, the digital artists, do have to do some like stuff at the end. But he is really trying to push the idea that you know this is his performance. Um, I yeah, I could see this movie doing some amazing things if, uh, during the Oscars, like uh, it being nominated for things beyond just special effects. And I hope so. Like, I will we, yeah, could, could we see him nominated for a leading role? A, a lot of people. Something? A lot of people yeah. are pushing for that. A lot of people are pushing for that. Uh, my my personal response to that is it's complicated. You know, I, I I'm feel sure. Like, I feel like the idea that it is his performance we're seeing is incredibly simplistic and not like I I, I actually went back and watched uh, the kind of making of docu- visual effects documentaries around um, mm-hmm. uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You know, just to see and the the animators do so much work to translate what is performed sure. on stage into the final thing. I, I just don't think it's as clear as, oh, they just feed it. It's not as clear as they feed his performance into a machine and bloop, it pops out. I, like, I, th- I think season. you're simplifying it in how you're describing it. I'm not trying to say that's exist. your opinion, yeah. I'm, but I think like yeah. it feels like a lot of people are saying things yeah. like that. And I, I, don't I think agree. I, he could still be deserving of a nomination for this role, even if there, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other artistry and special effects work involved for right. sure. I uh, was lucky enough to see this with a Q&A with Matt Reeves at the end. Ooh. And um, I kind of feel bad for this guy because every question is about the technology. Like mm-hmm. Every question he answers is about the tech rather than the film, which is a bit of a bummer. But he says there is a version of this movie that is fully cut just the way this movie is that doesn't have any apes in it. It's all human beings mm-hmm. with dots on their faces. And he says it's exactly the same movie. Yeah. And he said also that what they do, the process that they go through is, yes, there are a bunch of artists that you know do this stuff. But what he does and why this movie le- lives so long in post is because every shot in the movie, he sits down with the effects team and he watches it side by side with Andy Serkis and Steve Zahn, all the actors, the cut of the movie that he has already cut with the actors in it. He watches it side by side, every shot, and he goes – do you see what Andy's eyes are doing there? How come Caesar's eyes aren't doing that? Mm-hmm. How do we get Andy's uh, Caesar's eyes to do what Andy? He, all he is, he said, all that they try to do is translate the exact performance that the actors are doing. Which 
I'm not trying to take sides here or anything. I'm just saying that that's a really interesting bit of information about yeah, how the yeah. process is done. Uh, and I think that's uh, an extraordinary he, – he is very adamant in his answers at the Q&A that I saw at least mm-hmm. uh, that what you're seeing is no different than a lens of a camera t- picking up an, an actor right. and, but distorting the image because what the lens does. He, it, right. they're, they're trying to – capture the actor through a different kinds of lens right um Mm -hmm. and the amount of artistry required and how much the animators actually have say over that that i think is an open question um but Mm -hmm. it it is a it is an issue that i think will be debated in the in the months to come uh i'll just say a couple of thoughts on this movie i really liked it uh i thought Everything you guys said, I agree with. Uh, the, the movie was really unexpected. I, I didn't going into a movie called War for the Planet of the Apes. I did not right. think this was the movie I would get. I thought it would be, uh, like I said, Jeff, t- you know, nonstop action and escalating conflict. That first ten minutes, yeah, is that like, first ten minutes, oh, yeah. Exactly. Here we go, buckle in. <laughs> um, but I, I can't complain. I, I, it was very tense. I was on the edge of my seat for most of it. Um, it it's a, it's a beautiful beautiful movie every five ten minutes mm-hmm. there's something on the screen that i thought i've never seen anything like that before even you know a scene where like uh there's a there's a sequence where uh military people are ziplining in into a space mm-hmm. and it is the most beautiful ziplining i've ever seen in my life <laughs> i mean just the way that scene is shot is yeah it, it, the way it's conceived and shot is is gorgeous um the score by i, I think michael Giacchino, right yeah, yeah, one of uh, his best. One of his best. It's epic. Incredible. It, it, it is. It's it is like it, it is like old school biblical score. Like mm-hmm. this is a, something that you would hear in like the Ten Commandments or Ben Hur. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is yeah. that kind of grandeur that it evokes. Uh, the, those kinds of stakes are what it evokes, and uh, and I think it's appropriate for a movie where the stakes are the future of the planet and humanity. Uh, yeah. So I I thought all that was great. I thought the last third was my least favorite part of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think it's bad. I just think the first two thirds were so unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And the final third was uh, both A, fairly conventional, and B, had a lot of, uh, not necessarily deus ex machinas, but um, convenience Convenient, ex machinas. Yeah. You know? well, <laughs> like we we could things... talk about some of this in spoilers, yeah. but there's like one big thing that happens, I think is surprising and poetic in a way too. Like just, yeah, yeah. just explaining what that means for that character. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I really liked it. It sounds like we all mm-hmm. liked it. You should go see it. Let's get Loved this. it. One thing I want to mention before we get too deep into spoilers, like I did see some people, um, I think it was Brianna Wu on Twitter too, saying this is a movie pretty much with men, right? With mostly men, only men. There's one uh, girl in this movie and she plays a mute character which has to do with like the things the virus going around uh in the world at this point and it it did strike me because we actually brought this up around dawn um and we talked maybe not in the review but we did talk about the idea that even dawn the planet of the apes like didn't really make room for the women like carrie russell was in that movie right and she like didn't have much to do and caesar's wife and this movie it's even more it's more apparent how empty that is. And I know a big part of this movie is the idea that uh, it's sort of like Fury Road, right? The, uh, part of the idea is that men are kind of ruining this. So, like whatever tenuous hold we have on our humanity right now, a specific idea around like 
revenge and what we need to do, uh, led by really, really uh, one particularly crazy dude and his like followers. I think that's a big point. But th- that one little bit, if the movie had pushed a little further and just shown like another perspective there too. I think that would have been interesting and sort of like how in Fury Road where we met the, uh, you know, the band of older biker women or something who were clearly trying to resist everything that's happening. I think there was room for another perspective there that this movie didn't quite give like even man, Caesar's wife has even less to say in this movie. And that's, that's astonishing to me. All right, let's move into spoilers for uh, war for the planet of the apes starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So the final part of this movie has uh, a series of... Uh, like like I mentioned, convenient developments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the gas tank just happens to be leaking gasoline when Caesar throws his, uh, you know, his grenade, grenade. at it, uh, and there just happens to be a massive uh, avalanche that wipes out what appears to be like the remainder of humanity. Let's right? take everybody and line them up in a row right here. Right. <laughs> uh oh, we lined up right in here. No, <laughs> at that exact spot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's a powerful sequence, um, but yeah, I, I totally agree that it was like that. Really, the war for the planet of the eights is won by an avalanche. <laughs> right. Right. It felt, it felt a little bit like an anticlimax, uh, in some ways. Uh, but. Devendra, you were referring to the climactic moment with Woody Harrelson's character. You know, I, I was very moved when mm-hmm. Caesar admits his weakness. He says, like, I am too much like Koba. I can't let go of my hate. Right? Yeah. And that's a powerful moment for a leader to realize his weakness and succumb to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when he confronts Woody Harrelson's character, who I thought did a pretty great job kind of doing uh, Colonel Kurtz, right? Doing his version of Colonel Kurtz in this movie. Um, when he confronts Woody Harrelson, he's unable to pull the trigger. What do you guys, what is your interpretation of that scene? Like, what, what is your interpretation of why Caesar doesn't kill Woody Harrelson's character? Well, he's, he has a, he's, he has a fate worse than death and he sees it. He, mm-hmm. he real Woody Harrelson has realized that he killed his own son for no reason. And he is living in that. He's, the thing that he was so above and and had such disdain for has happened to him, and uh, I mean he is. What do you mean he, he killed his son fa- for no reason though? I, I don't understand that. Like he he, he he killed his son to stop the virus spreading. Yeah. Oh, I see. And he still got it. You're saying he right. still got it through the doll that the girl had in the cage. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Which a crazy moment. Crazy moment yeah. that the doll. Such a cool. Such a cool payoff of that doll in, yeah. a, in a completely unexpected way it's so awesome yeah um so he he realized that like hey whatever you're going through right now is far worse than what i could inflict on you with this gun yes is your take mm-hmm. on i think so that was my take yeah Devinder, any other thoughts on uh, that sequence well i mean that that's pretty much it right that is the realization that he is he's already being punished in a way too I think the better question is, if that didn't happen, what would Caesar have done? 
right? Would he like, have would gone he through it? Yeah, I think I think he would have. I mean, he's risked so much. Like things are the the place is literally exploding around him, mm-hmm. and he went back just to just to finish that guy off. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, by the way, one of the weaknesses of this movie is there is a larger exposition dump than usual. Uh, Woody Harrelson probably had I don't know. Yeah. Five to ten pages of dialogue he had to give just explaining what the hell was going on in the movie until that point. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, cool scene, though. For an exposition scene, it's a pretty cool scene. It's pretty cool. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. But yeah. the, the, it was like, wow, this is a lot of exposition. Uh, that was pro- My guess is that was probably the hardest scene in the movie to write. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, none of this I'm, – I'm picking nits because I, I really love the movie. Uh, but, yeah, there, there were some problems with it. I don't want to be the guy that's always uh, – <laughs> bringing up fatherhood now all of a sudden but uh i i do call my son monkey like that's one of my little terms of endearment for him and uh seeing the little monkey kid little ape child uh calling out father through the the mesh in the cage destroyed me destroyed me because like my little my little ten-month-old baby is like, you know, he's crawling and moving around. He climbs on me, and he's like a little monkey. And the, when like he finally gets reunited with them and he hugs him, I was like, all I want to do is hug my son. Oh, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. On that note, one thing I found really moving was earlier on in the film when uh, the father, uh, they, they happen upon this father who's kind of guarding the daughter who can't speak, and yeah. they kill the father, <laughs> you know, because the father's trying to defend himself. Uh, tragic moment, you know, I, I kind of was, um, I thought the daughter's reaction to it was a bit odd. Like I thought yeah. she would have, she would have been much more upset than she was like, and I, I was wondering like, does the disease mutation she have like also blunt her emotions or, or cognition in some way? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, th- that just felt a little bit odd to me because it felt like she should be really upset and crying because, you know, I mean... When I was a kid, I cried when my mom dropped me off for preschool. You know, like if my mom was well, dead, I'd probably be really upset about it. Um, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong, but I also think that there's a big assumption being made that that was her father. Oh, yeah. Fair, fair point. Fair point. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think what was also fascinating about that scene, like I, I was just nitpicking it just now. But what I really liked about it is in another movie, those would have been the main characters. You know, right? Like that, you're you're kind of witnessing a movie from a whole different perspective. You're witnessing this survival horror movie from the perspective of the quote unquote invaders. In this case, the apes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was a brilliant reversal uh, that allowed you to feel the tragedy of that death in a different way than you normally would. And I, I appreciate I, that. I, I definitely shouldn't say this, but uh, it occurred to me, uh, there's no way that girl doesn't grow up and fuck an ape, right? <laughs> She's an ape fucker. She becomes an ape fucker, right? She's uh, like, that's what, uh, that's what that, that's, uh, I, I disagree with a lot of what you're saying. And also, <laughs> um, uh, for those who recall the original Planet of the Apes, she actually becomes a character Nova from that film, yeah. the one with Charlton Heston. Um, that was a callback that didn't quite uh work for me like when like i think it's a moment when you know he uh maurice says like your name is nova um i don't think that moment has any significance unless you know the original ape series you know like it it should be like this big emotional moment and um and i i think it's kind of one of those things that like 
I like it when prequel moments can exist beyond the confines of what they're coming before. And, and when they had take on a life of their own and the apes movies have done a great job at that in general. And that was not one of the instances of, of them doing a great job. Um, any other, uh, any other thoughts on the, on the final act of this film? Do we think, uh, uh do we think Caesar's dead? You know, uh, oh, yeah. not, not coming dead. back. Oh yeah, definitely. He's dead. He's, he had a three act, three act structure and he dies and becomes this sort of Messiah for them. He's, he's, I mean, Matt Reed basically spelled this out at, at, mm-hmm. in the Q&A that I saw. And he said he is, it is the story of how Caesar falls into legend. He becomes the legend that all the apes will talk of forever. Like he is, he becomes this larger than life figure for them. But I, you know, I wasn't being flip when I said that uh, the, this is really, I think, one of the great sci-fi trilogies. And I'm so impressed with how patient a trilogy it is and how things develop over the course of these three movies in very organic ways, like the progression of Caesar into full language and the progression of the apes as a culture into a form of language and how their culture it just sort of evolves. And I, I just thought over the course of three films, we go from this monkey or monkey ape in a cage you know, hanging out with, uh, <laughs> with James Franco to this entire society of apes. And we see it progress at every level. We see exactly how it happens and it all makes sense. And it's all very organic and, 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 um, gradual, you know, it, it, it's an amazing achievement that they managed to make that progress happen over three films. And we don't feel like we missed any bit of it. We, it all, it all plays out over time, which is yeah. pretty cool. Well, we see a lot more of that than we do about like humanity, right? I think yeah. uh, the thing about these movies is like in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the world fell really quickly after the end of Rise. Like I think things kind of, yeah, the point where we were in dystopian San Francisco, I guess just happened very fast. And in this movie, it's very hard to tell what's even happening, right? I think the biggest worry now is that there's this, uh, the simian virus can make humans uh, mute. And that's the big worry there. Uh, I, you know, Dave, you were talking about how the finale was kind of uh, conventional to you, but I think that's also one of the more unique things about this, right? This isn't a big fight between the apes and the humans. This is freaking humans destroying themselves because that's what we do. That's what we always do. And the big arc at the end of this movie uh, isn't between like the one, um, you know, crossbow guy that Caesar saves at the beginning uh, who still ends up attacking him at the end. It's the the one donkey ape who finally is like, you know, this is not right. This is pretty messed up. Um, right. And I and, think and, that and, was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to Jeff's comment earlier, right, like the battle between ideologies uh, on the human side is b- between humans that think that the disease can be cured versus those that mm-hmm. think that the disease needs to be exterminated, right? Um, yeah. The, the conflict between openness and closedness, as it were. But anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely part of it. But the the main takeaway here is that, yeah, the apes being more human than humans, um, I hope at some point, like, because uh, I'm sure they're going to keep the series going even without Caesar and without Circus, I hope we get to see more of what this world looks like and more of what the balance is uh, between apes and humans, too. Like, I do want to see 
what's happening um, and how the apes like the next movie has to be about how the apes like avoid the downfall of humanity. Right. How, how do they not just repeat what their creators did? Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to more of that for sure. Yeah. And it seems like there are these other apes. Right. We see we see the society that built up through and around Caesar. But the Steve Zahn character is a clue that there are other apes in other parts of the world that may have different philosophies, but have grown mm-hmm. just as intelligent as, as Caesar's tribe has, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of war for the land of the apes. Something you should go check out. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of slash film.com. Find more episodes at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Uh, our theme music comes from adamwarrock.com and our uh, spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Uh, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Devendra, where can find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra and I write about tech and gadget.com. And uh, I was on Twit this week, so check that out on twit.tv. How about you, Jeff? Uh, I have several shows, including a daily video game show called Newest, Latest, Best, which is now available as a podcast. So, where you get this show, whether that be the iTunes or the Google Play or wherever you get this, uh, you'll be able to find that. And it's quick hits, 10 minutes a day, uh, every single day. It keeps you up to date on video games and uh, gaming in general. Check that out. Search for newest, latest, best. I also have a weekly long-form video game show with guests called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv DLC. And I have a short-form comedy show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Find all my stuff at davechen.net. And I'm doing a Game of Thrones podcast with John Robinson this year. You can find that at gameofthronespodcast.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing the new film by Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk. Uh, looking forward to talking with this uh, about this with you guys. A uh, lot of commentary online already, and most of it very positive. So uh, thanks for listening to the official podcast of Slashdown.com. We'll see you next week. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.